Good morning, West Ark. No, I am not Chris Benjamin. I would never, ever try to obtain to be Chris Benjamin. There can only be one room enough for one Chris Benjamin in this world, and we're thankful he's with us. Amen, right? That's a, that's a very much a compliment. But what I am today in front of you is a member of this church. I'm a member of your body. Look around, and I mean that. Take a moment and look around you right now. Do you see potentially new faces if you've been here for a while? Do you see old faces, and don't mean that by age, but faces that you've become accustomed to seeing week in and week out here this morning? I have two. My family has been coming here off and on now with a four-year window break there in Indianapolis since 2004. Our story has has been one of uh, excitement, joy, pain, comfort, overcoming. And it's because of this body. It's because of you. It's because of us. That you've helped the priesters, one of you, continue to be here week in and week out. What you saw behind me was a dream, was a vision, forward thinking. What you saw in front of you while I was speaking just a moment ago was what could be for this church building. Not for this church necessarily, but for this church building and how the church utilizes this building. You see, folks, that family life center, the gym, used to not be there. For those of you who are new, that was a vision. That was a dream. And this congregation came together and decided that that was going to be real. And it is, and it's utilized all the time. I came in here during the week, just during the week, and and I think it was a homeschool group that was in that gym. A member of our church and their homeschool group was in there. Stuff that we don't necessarily even know that's going on is being utilized in our church building. And before that, even this building wasn't here. Congregations came together and said, how can we better our resources together? How can we better our time together? And it formed West Ark. Many of you were here when that happened and can share those stories with us. Today, we have another opportunity to think. And we have been. And we've been talking about it. And we've been dreaming about it. And drawing up plans for what can this building be like tomorrow? How can we better serve Fort Smith tomorrow as a church body, as a group of individuals who are not going to fray and who are not going to stray from God's delivering message of grace and mercy and of deliverance from this world. That's what this building's about. That's what we need to be about. How can our building, how can our bricks and mortar be a resource for our neighbors? Maybe it's so that we can invite somebody in off the street who's not real comfortable coming into a church building and having coffee on the patio under the umbrella. Maybe it's somebody who's, who's kind of a bookworm and, and who will come in and utilize our resource of the library that's very easily accessible off the patio. Or, or maybe it's somebody who, who's not into the dull orange glow that's been around for so long. And this morning... If you've noticed, we're starting to see some change on that. 
Folks, I know that when we look at a $3 million price tag, many of us gasp. But I don't want to look at it as a $3 million price tag. I want us to look at it as how can God use me, us, we to further the kingdom of God and to further the kingdom of Christ in Fort Smith. And this building, I believe, through our vision, through our heartfelt prayers, I believe it captures that. How can we use our resources to reach out to the lost of Fort Smith? Folks, it's real simple. As Chris has been saying, as I've been saying, I'm not going to use the old sales pitch on you. I could very easily and tell you all about these soft sales and all about the hard sales and get you all to commit today. But what we've been trying to do is let you pray about this and think about this and dream about this as a body. Today, we do start our pledge period. If you see behind me on, on the screen, there is a timeline of three months where you will have the opportunity with your family, with your, your group, your, your whoever it is, to talk about and to think about and most importantly pray about what can I do, what can we do over the next three years or what can we do one time to help see this vision of the remodel happen by filling out one of these pledge cards. We've got a three-month pledge card process where we want you to take these cards and in the next three months drop them in the collection plate or hand them to one of our committee members and if you're on our finance committee for this building remodel please stand up let me see who's here so bill camp's back here jordan brown's up in the crow's nest andy rise over here as well and myself please bring us one of these cards the next three months if you have questions if you have concerns please come talk to us uh, also, the, the, the building remodel team. Please stand up if you're here with that group as well. So Jordan's up in the crow's nest again. Bill Camp. Um, so, so, yep, uh, Bob Knoll. Yep, thank you. Um, please make sure that you talk to one of those folks as well if you have questions. But we want to, you guys to understand this is not going to be done by one person. This is going to be done by us, we, collectively, the church at West Ark. It's going to be a combined effort, and that excites me more than anything. Because if one person could write the check, that'd be one thing. That'd be great. But to me, it's going to be amazing that at the end of this, when we come up with $3 million as a body, we can all feel good about that, and we can say, I had a part in that. Even if it's like my 9-year-old and my 7-year-old who are asking, Dad, how much of our piggy bank can we put into this? That's amazing to me. So, timeline's in front of you pledge cards. We will take these pledges, and and again, folks, we know this is a big commitment. Let us know what you might be willing to give and, and can give over the next three years. We can do this not by us, not by us, but by who? Let's all say it together. God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. My last thing, and I'm going to let Chris have the podium. We're going to have a goal chart, right? The old goal chart. It's good to see things here, right? What, what you may not be able to see, and, and I didn't have a red marker yet, but, but folks, you know what? It's not at the very bottom. We've already, even today, have started our progression to the top of $3 million. It's not even at the start. We're already going towards that goal. So please be watching this thermometer. It's going to be out here in the foyer uh, for the next three years and, and until we reach our goal. 
Uh, Let's pray and ask God's blessing on this adventure. God, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to think about how we can use this building to further your kingdom in Fort Smith. Father, be with us as we think about our own personal finances and how we might be a part of this. Father, I ask that you bless this time today. Lord, I ask that you bless this body and continue to bless this body. And thank you for all the ways that you've blessed us in the past and on the ways you're going to bless us in the future. Father, I pray that you will be with us now. Pray this through Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to thank John, and I said thank God when he said he wasn't me because uh, I want him to be John Priester. I need John Priester in the kingdom of heaven. I, I need him and his family, and the new, two of the new faces that I've gotten to see are his sons, and they encourage me as well. And uh, I'll tell you a neat little story. Uh, when we had um, uh, back-to-school blessing, and we did the cards, um, some joker put Blue Bear and Bible Bear in those cards to be prayed for. And it's one of John and Melody's kids that picked those cards out and said, we will pray for them. Well, really, they're praying for that ministry, and they're praying for my sons who are involved in that. And so we all encourage each other in this way. And I I appreciate what you had to say, John. Thank you so much for your encouragement, and we do begin that now. Um, Take those pledge cards home. Please be prayerful, thoughtful about that, and just focus on what you can do. I've been thinking a lot about the past and the future, and we are a people who like to divide things up, black and white, A or B, it's either this or that. We get nervous sometimes in our culture when we blend these things. But the past or the future becomes the past, and we don't live in either one of those. And sometimes we look at something like this building remodel, and we ask, so is this a physical thing, or is this a spiritual thing? In, the, in, in past centuries, dividing Christianity up into spiritual and physical has always been a problem. It's called dualism. It doesn't do a good job of talking about the way Christianity is really meant to be, you you end up splitting heaven and earth when, in fact, God's ultimate goal is to bring heaven and earth together in a new creation. And the spiritual and the physical both are made and blessed and created by God. There's nothing outside of His realm. And so there's no way to say that this thing that we're doing is just a physical building. And that giving is not just giving of our secular, physical, worldly needs or means. Our spirituality is not disembodied. I mean, you just partook of the Lord's Supper this morning. You ate bread. You drank the fruit of the vine. We had pictures up on the screen, but if it was all disembodied, we could have just left those pictures up there and said, now for the next minute, I want you to just look at that and think real hard. We didn't ask you to just think about a song and how nice it would be to think of that song. We asked you to fill your lungs with air 
and to use your vocal cords to make sounds and to use your mind to speak words. And I don't want you to shut your bodies down right now in this sermon, but I want you to uh, use your imagination, use your ears to hear as I use my tongue to speak, and together we think about what is going on here and the, and the reality that we're a part of right now, but it's a reality stuck between past and future, and it's a creative event that we're a part of. So I was in Little Rock this weekend, and there's a fellow named John Mark Hicks who's a teacher at Lipscomb College. And he's written some, some fantastic books about uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And he has one about worship in the assembly and what goes on in the assembly. And he was, he was using some of that material. His book, by the way, is called A Gathered People. And just showing you how we use this uh, building and how we'll continue to use it. As soon as I mention this book, our library people are going to look for that book. They're going to put it out there and it's available to you to read. I love that. We're helping each other grow. But in his, in his book and in his presentation, Hicks talked about the fact that when we come together to worship, there are people with us who are not physically here, and yet they're with us. That we're worshiping today, but we are in fellowship with people in Africa and Asia. And we're in fellowship with people in Europe all around the world. I can list all of the continents. Probably even this new continent they've discovered, Zealandia. Yeah. Not Zoolander, Zealandia. Some of, I'm keeping you awake. See? But not only are we connected through space, we're connected through time, through the generations. And I've been thinking about the thing that Dave mentioned, that it's been a profound week for some of us that in the span of no more than two weeks, we've had five of our brothers and sisters pass away. Lyndon Blackman and Virginia Mobley. And I have a connection there, even though I hadn't seen Virginia in years. When her husband Ike passed away, I took a group of young men, some of them are here and some of them have grown up now. We went over to clean out his tool shed and she said, you can have some of his tools. I still have those tools and I think of him every time that I use them. Loretta Loudermilk's funeral was yesterday. Linda Allen's funeral will be this week and so will Jane Fisher tomorrow. But they're not gone. They're here. Not just their legacy, not just their impact, but they. And I'm not talking about ghosts. I'm not talking about disembodied specters or anything like that. I'm talking about that spiritual, eternal fellowship that never ends. And I know that because I keep thinking about that. And, I keep, and here I am being here 14 years. And I'll tell you where I feel this. I've been thinking about this where I see this most. Is right here in my little church neighborhood, right here. Okay, we, we, we call these our little church neighborhoods because we're so spread out and we always cluster up together. You know, there was a time, and I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thankful for my neighbors here, there was a time that this was empty and it was very lonely. And our sons had moved to other neighborhoods and, uh, and so we were very lonely there and we thought, what do we need to do? And I tell you, there's three people that I thought of and I still think of them almost every Sunday morning. 
Three women who sat right there behind us. They were in that um, special, special group called the 90-somethings. Eleanor Casey, Mary Margaret Hudson, and Grace Peters. And the first Sunday that my family, I was here before my family, and so I was really excited about this Sunday, and they were all there. And Ethan was uh, five or six, and he had, you know, he, basically, you know, we drag them all up from southeast Texas, get them up here. He's tired. He's having a hard time. He's only five or six years old or something like that. And Karen, of course, thinking, that's it. You know, we just moved here, and now they're going to get rid of us because, you know, our children don't behave. And so uh, she turns around to those women and says, I'm sorry about the way he's at. And they just, no, no, it's fine. He's entertaining. We like that. You just let him, you just let him enjoy himself. And she told me about that, and I said, oh, we're in the right place. And so we keep that spirit up over here. I got Jenny and Hannah over here today. Some days I got the Bice kids. I love it because whenever a parent says to me, you know, I'm really sorry about the way my kids act, and I'm like, I'm not worried. I'm not bothered by it because they're going to go home with you, not me. And <laughs> Let me say this to parents. You do need to take care of your kids and teach them and discipline them. But the last thing I ever want you worried about is what do all of us think? You want to know what we think? We think, great, the future. They're here. They're going to grow up. We're going to teach them the faith. We're going to let them own this. And some of the adults who are sitting here in this assembly today thinking about what they're going to put on those green cards we're once those wiggly kids who were sitting there. Now, we're going to help you be a parent, and that's right. But I've got the spirit of those three sisters right here still leading me in this neighborhood to say, I'm always going to be a welcoming presence to all of these children, whether they're our children by blood or by the blood of Christ. So I was thinking of uh, this title traveling to the future by walking through the past and I have I completely confess I have 100% plagiarized that from David Chadwell uh, this is the sermon this is the title of the sermon that that David preached the Sunday before I got here for my first Sunday as a minister on staff and I went back and I read that sermon because that title was sticking with me as I was thinking about this. And I read through that, and in that sermon, David mentions our family, and he mentions that he was calling us, and I was telling him this morning, I remember it. I mean, we would sit on Sunday as we were uh, getting ready to transition from the church in Texas up here, and I would think, you know, it's about time for David to call. And, and he would call us, and it was a, it was a great encouragement and now here we, you know, that was, a, that's the, that was our future we were looking at by coming here, and now it's the past. But that past shapes this now, which was once the future, which this now is shaping a future that's yet to be. One of the things I gained from David's sermon is this, that whenever we want to preference the past or we want to preference the future, you can't do that. Because past and future are fluid. 
You can't live in the past and say, oh, things were better back then. Well, if that's the case, then move back there. You know, it's the way we feel when people say, oh, I don't, I don't like this country, you know, and then somebody will say, well, move to another country. Well, you can't always. But I'll tell you what, you'll have a better chance moving to another country than you will be to moving to the past. And if all you're thinking about is the future and you want to go there right now, then you're going to have to find some way to freeze yourself in an iceberg or something so they can wake you up, and then, but guess what? You don't get to come back. All we, the best we can do is not to preference either one of those, but look back at the past and give thanks and cherish what God was doing in the past. And be hopeful about the future and look at the future in terms of what God can do, not what we're limited to doing. And this is the difference between vision and path, which, again, we can't split them up, we can't be dualistic, but vision and path go together. And sometimes we get them confused, but they do go together. Vision is where we are going. Vision is what will be or what could be. We don't always know with the future. But there's a hope that comes with vision, and it's based on, it's built on faith because we see what God has done in the past, and so we have faith that He'll continue His care, and He'll continue working in us in the future. And it's built on knowledge. Things that we know about the past give us the ability to predict, and, to sh- and it shapes our expectations. The path, then, is where we're at And it has to do with how we get to that vision. This is where our planning and our strategy and our goals come in. And sometimes we assume that the planning and the strategy and the goals, that those are the vision. No. That's the path to the vision. So when you see these plans for this building, when you see these ideas, this is what we imagine it's going to be. But all the planning and the strategy and the pain and the giving and the pledge cards are going to take us to a place that looks like that, but what is it going to represent? What is it going to be all about? That's where our vision comes in. Let me show you how Scripture does this. I want to thank uh, our elders know who John Mulliken is. He works with Hope Network, and he was also at this conference And I'll confess again, I've completely taken this from him, and I've plagiarized it from him, but he ripped it off from the Bible, so that's okay. (laughs) Um, And by the way, John Mulliken's really, he is a friend of this congregation, and I hope you'll be hearing more from him this year. Um, The vision is in Revelation 20. Notice the, the, the vision language. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Look, God's home is now with His people. He will live with them. They'll be His people. God Himself will be with them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. That's healing. That's hope. That's a vision of what will be. We tend to think that the mission that we've embodied in this, in this banner back here as well We tend to think that that's the vision. No, that's the mission. That's the path. That's how we are going to this vision. And by the way, you can change out different scriptures here 
for mission and vision. It's just different ways of talking about the same thing. That in this life right now, today, you and I have not arrived. We don't ever arrive. We don't build the church and say, there, we did it. Okay, let's just sit back and keep everybody from getting it all grimy and marking it up with fingerprints and scuff marks. No. What we're always doing is we are on a journey towards this vision that we will never realize in this world, but it will be in the new heaven, the new earth, the age to come, the eternal age. And so when we go and we make disciples, disciples are growing things and growing things change. When we make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then we teach these new disciples to obey the commands that Jesus has given us, that's the mission, that's the path towards the vision. And yeah, we've got something to do along the way, but at the same time, we know God's going to accomplish it. So somebody might ask me again one of those dualistic questions. So is this what we're supposed to do, or is this what God does? Yes. We don't, there's no point in dividing it up. Let's do. And let's watch God do. And let's follow Him. You know, when Christ calls His disciples, He doesn't say, hey, I've put an article online and it gives you uh, five quick steps to being one of my people. So why don't you check that out and then send me an email later and tell me how it's going for you. He uses two words. Follow me. Where are we going? Oh, there's a vision. Just follow me. We're on the path. And people follow him because of that vision. We've done that here. We've done this same thing in this congregation over the years. And by the way, this this renovation program that we're talking about, these pledge cards, this isn't something that we came up with last week. This isn't something that we started out last month. Or even last year. We talked about it being last year. But you remember all the talk-it-ups we've had, and we had people like Don Hebbard come in and ask questions? And actually, you can trace this all the way back to the beginning, that we have constantly been working on this, and there have been elder retreats and meetings with you, and you've been involved in classes, and we keep talking about the vision, and we keep trying to find words to wrap around that vision. The sermons that David preached, the sermons that I've preached now, we're always looking for those words. Friendly, inviting, intimate, participatory. Those words came about because a group of shepherds, after talking to all of you, said, what is it that we want to be? Where are we going? Well, we want to be these four things. Could there have been other four things? Yes. Are there possibly other things that we didn't come up with? Yes. But these four words just become handles that put a grip on what kind of people make up a church that are friendly inviting, intimate, and participatory. And by the way, it's not that we weren't friendly and inviting and intimate and participatory before all this. I just told you that story about those three wonderful sisters who sat behind us, and you know what they were? Friendly and inviting. They were intimate. We got to know their family. They would participate with us right there every Sunday after church. And I love it that they were there. They were right down front and center with us. Years before that, that's around 2008, we said, what's our vision? What do we want to be doing? What do we want to be known as? 
Benny Gooden just told you, he said, we're a player out there. I like that. West Ark, the play. We're, the, we're a player. We're, we're on the scene. We're on the field. What are we doing? Well, we're on the campus. We're working with kids. And we've worked with generations of kids in different ways. We're involved in healing. We're involved in hope. Sometimes you see that embodied in ministries like Hope, Chest, and Cure. And sometimes it's just somebody comforting somebody else. And it'll never get announced, it'll never get in the bulletin, it'll never get preached, it'll never get told. But you know that someone feels hope when they didn't. Now how are we going to get there? What's our path? Well, our path is four other words that we've picked up. We like four words. Around here, it's just who we are. We like four words, and we like things to have a three-letter label. There's so many BMTs, LFCs. I mean, if you start listing them all, you're going to sound like a tobacco auctioneer. You know? LFC, LFC. It's going to sound like a Lucky Strike commercial from back in the old days. There's only 20% of you who will understand that. That's who we are. But the path that we're going to use to get there, worship, grow, serve, give, When we do those things, we haven't arrived. Those are the things that disciples do to get to that vision that's ultimately going to be brought in by God's Holy Spirit, even now and in the future. So as we worship, as we grow, as we serve and give, I want to ask you to have some vision. I think it's pretty clever that this three-year process ends in the year 2020. Because then you get to talk about 2020 vision. Isn't that just clever? Yeah. (laughs) Somebody, I see what you did there, yeah. Actually, I think it's kind of accidental. It's just... (laughs) But maybe that's good. Yeah, what, what would our vision be like? I want you, to, I want you to, to envision this with me. I know we live in the present, but that doesn't mean we can't visit the future through our imagination. In, in fact, God's people have to do that. I mean, it's all over the Bible. They're always talking about the, you know, the people in Egypt are talking about the day that they get to the land of promise. Uh, the people in exile are talking about the day that God brings them home. Jesus is talking about that moment when He will eat and drink with us again in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that ought to be our vision every Lord's Day as we gather around the supper. And you're sitting there and, and you know, we're worried about wiggly kids and everything else and we're cracking off crackers and all this. Kind of, and you think, wait a second, there's, gonna, there's, a, there's a day coming when I'll be at a table with Jesus. So that vision is, is part of who we are as disciples. I want you to imagine it's a, it's a, it's a day in, um, in the year 2020, okay? And our little neighborhoods look a little different. This area in here looks a little different. And, and, and some of these pews have been changed out by chairs that are movable. And let me tell you what that does. Here's what it does. I'm just going to, right here in my neighborhood... Some of the chairs are missing because over the years we've come to be known as a church that cares about, responds, and takes an active role in the lives of children and adults with special needs. 
And people who are bound in wheelchairs can sit in and among their families because we can do that little moving of chairs. And so it's just kind of all over, but they're with their friends, they're with their families in these different places. And you see a pew back there and a chair up here, but then here's a wheelchair and a wheelchair. And all around the congregation, I mean, if family members come in who have those special needs, things can be moved around. It's a simple physical thing, but what does it represent It represents that God has worked among us to make a church family that has that gift of ministry. I want you to imagine with me that, you know, standing right here, you can look straight out there and see the front doors. And there's a hospitality area and there's a coffee bar there. And on a night of the week, let's say it's a it's a May evening. In 2020, it's May. It's the first few weeks of May because it's finals over here on campus. And our campus ministry students who see themselves not as the ones to be served by this campus ministry, but they think of themselves as missionaries on that campus. And they have a vision for that. And they're working at it. They're on the path. And they've gathered some of us and some of us who... who, are, are gathered together out there and, and this, this area out there with the, with the coffee hospitality bar and the library room and the picnic table has been turned into a study night during finals. And there are people who have gifts and skills in certain areas, literature, history, chemistry, math. And they're out there and they've, they've got little stickers on and it says, you know, I know history. Got a question? Ask me. I'm glad to help. And over here, one of those adults brings coffee to some students sitting over here at this, this picnic table. And, and, he's, and he says, uh, can, I, can I help you with uh, you know, more coffee? And they say, no, but I'll tell you what, you can explain this Magna Carta thing to us. Okay, okay, we'll sit down, we'll talk. And then as the evening's wrapping up, some of our folks and some of these students who are wandering in are, are sitting there around that coffee bar talking, and they can see straight through in here, and they see this area up here, and there's this, this thing that looks like a round well, and it's got water in it. It's the baptistry. And they, they look down there, and they say, you know, I've been noticing that. It's so interesting looking. What is that? And one of them says, yeah, is that holy water? And one of our people says, well, the water's not holy, but what happens there is. And, and, and what happens there is a new birth into Christ. And so anybody who confesses their faith in Christ and wants to be a disciple can be baptized there. And, and these visitors say, anyone? Yeah, any, anyone, I mean, anyone who comes to Christ, because it's not us. We don't decide who, do, who, who gets to come to Christ. Christ receives them if they will follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple. And one of these visitors, one of these students says, I thought I knew what church is about. I've never heard anything like this, but I do have some interest in this. I want to know more. How do I know that these things can happen? Because they're already happening. And all of this energy and innovation and giving just enables us to do more of the same. 
How do I know that people with special needs, I mean, you know, if they have these, these, these wheelchairs with all this equipment on it, how do I know that they'll be welcomed down front? Because those three sisters welcomed me and my wife and my children. And that spirit remains. How do I know that people can come up here and tutoring can turn into a story of the gospel? Because you've got folks like Professor John Langford who are already doing that. So, how do I know that people will ask about that baptistry? Because it's happened to me over and over again. And I've seen it. And here's the thing, I don't want to be the only person out there telling people about it. I want you to be out there too. I want you to be in here. I want you to be sharing it with these little children I want you to be sharing it with these grown-ups. And it's just that simple that Christ, not us, Christ, invites us to come to Him and to be born into a new kind of life. And whether that water's up in this baptistry or in a new baptistry down here that's probably actually more accessible for people with special needs, or whether it's the icy Arkansas River, or a bathtub or a hot tub in that water, the Spirit of God brings new life. As it says in Romans, if we've been united with Him like this in His death, then we will certainly be united with Him in the resurrection. Your baptism is the beginning of vision, and it's the first step on the path towards that vision. So who needs to be baptized today? Who needs prayers to stay on the path today? We're going to have shepherds that are going to be up here ready to pray with you. They'll give you counsel on giving as well. I Take advantage of that. They can, they can help you with that. Don't ever feel like you can't talk to them about these things. They're good at this. You can also meet with them back here. There's a room back here that has pews in it. Okay, let's stand, let's sing, and whatever encouragement we can give you today, we want to do that.